Christian does not have every verse in the Bible memorized. I don't understand. Good morning, Lakeview Church. Hey, before we get into the message, I want to just take a moment and honor a couple among us uh, who celebrated a 50th wedding anniversary this week. And I don't know where David Jeffrey is at. He's probably around keeping us safe. Um, He kind of checks to make sure everything's as it should be while we are worshiping here. But David and Roseanne Jeffrey celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary this week. And I think it's really, really important that we honor those who set this kind of example for us in our lives We live in a world, I don't have to tell you this, but we live in a world where covenants that we make mean less and less and less. We see this clearly in the marriage covenant. In our world, people make a commitment to spend a lifetime together, and those commitments are meaning less and less and less in our world. And so when we see people among us who make and keep their covenants, They ought to be honored as people that we can look to and say, be like them. Now, I talked to David this morning, and we both agreed that keeping the marriage covenant isn't a piece of cake. It's not easy, right? Marriages have challenges, and they have struggles, and they have good times, and they have bad times. But here's the thing. As people of God, we are to let our yes be yes and our no be no. So when we make a commitment before God, we ought to keep it. And when people do that, we ought to honor them. Now, I don't know where David's at or if he can even hear us, but I want you to just honor them with a round of applause and thank them for setting a good example for us. Some of you might be wondering, why are we not bringing them up front, giving them a gift? Well, we actually sent them flowers on their anniversary, which happened this last week. So they've already received a gift from our church and just a small token of our appreciation just to say thank you, thank you, thank you for setting that example. And I was looking at the wonderful database that we have that have all of this information in it about your wedding anniversaries. And we actually have several 50th wedding anniversaries coming up in our church over the next uh, several months and in this next year. And we're going to celebrate every single one of them because we just believe it's important. Amen? We are finishing up our message series today called Surprised by Hope, and I want to share in this final message with you uh, just a talk that I'm entitling In the Meantime, In the Meantime. To kind of set the stage for this message, let me just take a moment or two and kind of recap everything that we've said in this series. We started in this series in the first two weeks, and we looked back into the past, and we went back and we said, Jesus Christ died and he was raised again. And we said that that's really important because that reality is the foundation of our faith and it is the key to our hope. And so we were looking back into the past to find that moment in time where the Son of God gave his life and was raised again because because without that, we are wasting our time. 
That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? He says that if Jesus didn't die and he wasn't raised again, then our faith is useless. We're still in our sins and we have no hope for the future. But Christ has indeed been raised. He's been raised from the dead. And because of that today, we have a faith that is valid. We have sins that have been forgiven and we have a hope that is secure for the future. In the last two weeks, we looked into the future. We looked to the end of time, and we said that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are people of the double hope, and we are waiting for the moment when God will be God over everything. We talked about the fact that that when we look to the end of time, there are things that we have to be hopeful for, that there is a moment coming when Jesus Christ will have all things under his authority, and in that moment, he will hand the kingdom over to his Father, and God will be God over everything. And we said that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have two hopes. The first hope is that when we die, we will be with God, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 8 tells us that when we are absent from our bodies, we are fully at home with the Lord, that when we die, we have this hope that there is life after death. But we said that that's not the full and final hope of the follower of Jesus Christ, that that when we are absent from our bodies and present with the Lord, we are awaiting the second hope of the Christian, that one day the trumpet of God will sound and Jesus Christ will return. And when he does, we who have died in Christ will be raised again. And those of us who remain will be changed in an instant, in, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us, right? Look at verses 52 and 53 in 1 Corinthians 15. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever And we who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And the reason that we must maintain and hold on to the second hope of the Christian is because there is a final enemy that must be defeated before Christ can be in authority over all things. In verse 54, we are told that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And when that moment comes, when when Jesus Christ comes back and all who have died in Christ are raised again to life, in that moment, the final enemy will be defeated. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He has given us the victory through Jesus Christ. We are people of the double hope, and we are waiting for the moment when God will be God over everything. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we live in this very interesting place. Because there's something that's already happened that is the foundation of our faith, and there's something that's going to happen that is our future hope. Something that's already happened and something that's not yet. This means that you and I are in between people. 
We are in between people. We stand in our lives today between two realities, a resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has already happened, and a resurrection of the dead where God is God over everything that has not yet happened. We're in between. And we have to figure out how to live in between these two realities, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, here's the reality. When we think about living in between, there are dangers associated with living in between these two realities. Real dangers that we must be aware of and that we must combat however we can. And the first danger that I think we have to be aware of is spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable, and it's a parable about 10 bridesmaids. They are waiting for the bridegroom to appear, and they were going to this place to wait for the bridegroom to come, and and the bridegroom would be announced, and then the bridegroom would arrive, and then the bridesmaids would go in with the bridegroom. What we know about these 10 bridesmaids is that five of them were diligent and engaged in their preparation. They took not only enough oil to make their lamps burn today, but they took enough oil in case there was a delay in the bridegroom coming. They were prepared not only for this moment, but for the moments to come. And while they were there waiting, they stayed engaged. They were kind of leaning in. They were on the front of their seat. They were ready to go at any moment. And even though there was a delay in the bridegroom coming, they stayed ready. They were engaged. They were waiting for the moment when they were going to get to go in. And they were prepared. The other five, however, were called in this parable by Jesus as foolish. And the reason they were foolish is because they only took enough oil to keep their lamps burning just for the short term. They assumed the bridegroom was going to come on time, on schedule, maybe even a little bit early, but it never occurred to them that they might have to wait longer than they originally thought. So they only brought enough oil for today. And when the delay happened and the bridegroom didn't come on time and wasn't early, then they realized they weren't going to have enough oil. They weren't prepared. They weren't engaged. They weren't sitting on the edge of their seats. They were kind of wondering, when is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They actually allowed the delay to cause laziness and unpreparedness for the moment. I think this is a description for what is happening in the church today. I think that it's an apt description of where the church in North America is right now. That we have allowed our culture of comfort and plentiful resources to create in us a sense of comfort and entitlement even in our life of faith. We live in a world of immediate gratification, instant everything, right? I remember as a kid when we would order things from the Sears catalog, and then you would wait like an eternity until that thing would show up, right? Like two weeks or something. It took forever. And now we log on to Amazon, and it's here tomorrow, and if... 
If we lived in a big city, it could be here in like an hour or two. Right? This is the world we live in. We live in a world that's gone from dial-up to like high speed, right? My kids complain about lag on the internet. I'm like, you have no idea what lag is. <laughs> they have never heard that beautiful sound that you used to hear when your phone was connecting to dial up internet, right? Everything in our culture has become more immediate, more instant, more comfortable, more centered on us as individuals. And what I'm afraid is that we have forgotten what Romans 12 says. Do not let the world push you into its mold. I think we've taken the ways of the world and we've allowed them to influence our journey of faith so that we want our faith to be comfortable and instant and easy. Because we don't want to suffer. We don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to put ourselves on the line for the sake of the kingdom. And what I fear is that we have enough Jesus to get into heaven, but we don't want all of Jesus. And we certainly aren't going to let Jesus have all of us. Because there are things we want to do with our lives that might not match his plans and his purposes. And what I fear right now is that the church in North America has fallen into a slumber. We have not been vigilant. We are not prepared. We are spiritually lazy as a church. And as a result, we look around us and we ask ourselves, how can the church be wavering on such core doctrines and principles that we have always held to be true? It is because we have fallen asleep. And we have forgotten that there is an enemy that goes back and forth in this world and he is always looking for someone to devour because his mission is clear to steal, to kill, and to destroy everything that God wants to do in this world. And we cannot allow the danger of spiritual apathy to knock us off of the plan and path that God has for us. Spiritual apathy is a real danger for in-between people. A second danger is kingdom disengagement. We talked about this earlier in the series because we mentioned the fact that there is a critique of the Christian faith. And, and in some situations, it's, it's a legitimate critique. That we as God's people who are in between what has happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future is that we become so future-oriented, so wrapped up in the realities of heaven at the end that we become no earthly good as God's people. We disengage from the work that God is attempting to do in this world to alleviate suffering, to right wrongs, and to bring righteousness where wickedness currently reigns. And we just disengage from the world because we say, well, it's bad, but look at where we're going. Praise God. And we just take our hands off of what God is trying to do in the world because we think that God's ultimate mission is to evacuate people from this place to a better place. But what if God's mission is to restore this place, to redeem this place? Right at the end, when you read the book of Revelation, you don't read about God just evacuating people to some other wonderful place. What you read about is 
The king of kings saying, behold, I am making all things new. And when John had his vision, what he saw was a new heaven and a new earth. And where was it coming? It was coming here. Coming down out of heaven to this place where we live. What if God isn't going to discard the world? What if he plans to redeem it and restore it and make it everything he wanted it to be to begin with? And what if our job as his people is to work alongside of him, to partner with him in his mission to redeem humanity and to restore the world? So that at the very beginning, what Jesus said, or what God said in Genesis, that the world was very good, could once again be true. What if that's what God is up to? And what if he's looking for people not to be disengaged as waiting room Christians? Remember we talked about that? I know some of you remember because you've texted me to say, I think I'm a waiting room Christian. Yeah, a lot of us are. We just, we just get comfortable. We hope the shows are on that we like, right? It's not fun to be in the waiting room where you're like, I hate this show. Why is this show on? Who picked this show, right? You want it to be your show and you hope they have the magazines you like to read. But no waiting room I sit in ever has hockey magazines. I don't understand. Right? We want the waiting room to be comfortable, to be pleasant, to be a good place where we can wait because we might be here a little while and we want it to be comfortable for us. And a lot of Christians have approached their faith that way, just disengaged from the kingdom agenda that God has, just like, thank God my soul is saved and I'm going to heaven. Thank God I've got a mansion over the hilltop and I'm just gonna wait here and do nothing until I get there. Except what if that is the exact danger the enemy is trying to get us to buy into? What if we're missing out on the calling that God has placed on the church because we're just concerned with our own comfort? Spiritual apathy, kingdom disengagement, and then thirdly, missional indifference. Missional indifference. Some of you will know Dwight Robertson. And uh, Dwight is the founder of Forge. It used to be called Kingdom Building Ministry. Some of you might be more familiar uh, with that particular name of the, of the organization. But Dwight is one of the people that we support through our global engagement fund. And Dwight has been a longtime friend and mentor for me. Uh, and we've had so many different conversations over the years, so many different times of interacting, and, and there are so many nuggets of wisdom and truth that I've received from Dwight that have helped me become who I am as a pastor and leader and follower of Jesus Christ. I remember one particular conversation that Dwight and I had. We were actually sitting in a park in Aurora, Colorado. We went there to have lunch together. We each brought our brown bag lunches, and we sat on a bench in this park, and the birds were chirping, and you could hear the leaves rustling as the wind was blowing through the trees, and we were sitting there eating and having a conversation, and as Dwight is often prone to do, he asked a provoking question. And here was his question. Chris, what is the opposite of love? And I thought, well, this is an easy question. And then right before I could give the easy answer, which is the opposite of love is hate. Before I could say that, because that's the easy answer, Dwight said, and, and just so you know, you might think the answer is hate, but it's not that. 
So Dwight's now got my attention as he's really good at doing. So then I listened for what Dwight, a.k.a. Yoda, was going to say next. What's the piece of wisdom that's going to drop next? And he said, the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. If we do not love people enough to tell them what they really need to hear, we don't have to actually be guilty of hating them to be guilty of not loving them. Right? If we don't love them enough to tell them what they need to hear, then it doesn't matter if we hate them or not. We still don't love them because we're indifferent. This is really important for us to understand. Because over the last two years, I've gotten to know you. And I have not found anybody in our church who is hateful. I mean, really, like, there's not a person among us that I would encounter and say, man, that person hates the people around them. I've not met anyone like that. Now, to be sure, there are moments when we all get grumpy. And there are moments when we get a little prickly with each other. But I've not met anybody in our church who is hateful. But here's the reality. When we think about the 42,000 people in Grant County today who have no religious affiliation, when we think about the 60% of the population in the county where our church is located, who if they died today, just so we're all clear, would spend all of eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Just so we're all clear about what we're talking about. We do not have to hate those people to be guilty of not loving them. We just have to have a missional indifference that says to hell with them. That's all we have to have to be guilty of not loving our community. Missional indifference. You don't have to go out and hate the people of our community. You just have to not care whether they spend eternity with Christ or not. And if that's true, you will be guilty of not loving the mission field that God has placed our church in. Spiritual apathy, kingdom disengagement, missional indifference. These are three dangers that we have to be careful of living in between. Because here's the reality. When you're in between the foundation of your faith and the key to your hope and the ultimate end where you will live with God forever and God will be God over everything and everything will be set right again, there's a real danger in the in-between. This is why Paul writes verse 58 in 1 Corinthians 15. As he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, he recognizes pretty quickly that he's talking about what has happened. Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. Praise the Lord. And one day, we will be raised from the dead, and we'll spend eternity forever with God, and the last enemy will be swallowed up in victory, and God will be God over everything, and it's going to be wonderful. And as Paul's writing those two realities, he says, but they're going to they're gonna check out. And so he writes verse 58, and it's the verse that we are looking at today. So my dear brothers and sisters, 
Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Be strong and immovable. Work enthusiastically. Listen, what do we do in between? We stand our ground. We pursue God with everything that is within us and we work for his cause and his kingdom because every ounce of energy that we spend in those pursuits is never useless. It's never in vain. God always uses it to advance his name and advance his cause and accomplish his purposes. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 calls us as in-between people to be faithful in the meantime. We have a solid foundation that's not gonna move, right? We were singing about earlier, the rock won't move. We have a strong, solid foundation and we have a future hope that is secure. So in the meantime, our calling is to be faithful which means we have to replace spiritual apathy with spiritual fervency. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ in this day and in this age, you need to wake up your soul. And you need to pursue God with more passion and more fervency than at any other time in your life. Right? When, when John had the revelation that we read about in the book of Revelation, he writes to these seven churches and to one of the churches, he says to them, you need to be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm because if you're lukewarm, I'll just spit you out of my mouth. If we are lukewarm in our faith, we are distasteful to God. God is not looking for a church that's lukewarm. He's not looking for a church that's mediocre. He's looking for a church that is set on him, where our attention is solely focused on him. Our affections are burning white hot for him, and he is our Lord, and we love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we don't hold anything back. God is not looking for a church that's going through the motions. He doesn't want people who fill the form of godliness but deny its power. He's looking for a church that is the radiant bride of Christ that's on fire and filled with the spirit of God and is set on accomplishing everything that God gives us to do. We must be people of spiritual fervency. We cannot let down our guard. We cannot take a break. We cannot be lazy. We cannot be unprepared. God has won the victory and he's looking for people who will lean in, edge of our seats, ready to do whatever he asks us to do and always prepared, strong and immovable. That's the kind of church he wants us to be. He's looking for us to replace kingdom disengagement with kingdom focus. Listen, we don't have anything else to do except build the kingdom of God. That's the only thing we've been asked to do as God's people. That is our mission. That is our calling. And you know why that's our mission and that's our calling? Because that's the mission of God. That's the mission that the Father gave to the Son. 
Which is why when Jesus comes in Mark chapter one and he shows up on the scene and he proclaims the good news. This is the good news according to Jesus Christ himself. He doesn't say, I've got good news. Your sins can be forgiven. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I've got good news. You get a mansion. He doesn't say, I've got good news. There's streets of gold. He doesn't say any of that. You know what Jesus says is the good news? The kingdom of God is here. I brought it to this earth. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God, the the reality where God is king and he reigns over everything and everything is submitted to his authority, the, the way it's gonna be at the end, Jesus says that's here now. It's accessible, so repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. This is the topic that Jesus then teaches about for all of his public ministry. He talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else. This is his number one message. That's why almost every parable begins with the kingdom of God is like. Because he's trying to help you understand the beautiful, wonderful reality of the kingdom of God, which is now here. It's like a mustard seed planted in the corner of the garden. It's really, really tiny, but it puts down roots that spread throughout the whole garden, and it grows up into a tree that produces fruit and provides shade and, and gives a place for birds to build their nests. That's what the kingdom of God does. It starts really small, but it has a great big impact. It's like yeast that gets worked into a lump of dough. You can't even see it. It's imperceptible. And yet the influence of the yeast on the dough is profound. The kingdom of God is like that, and it's here. It's among us. It's doing its work. It's putting down roots. It's growing up and producing fruit. This is what Jesus taught about in his ministry. And he said to his followers, hey, guys, you only have one thing to do. Seek first his kingdom. That's it. That's your mission. Do that. Seek it in your own life and seek it for the life of this world. Seek the kingdom of God and God will take care of everything else. And when he taught his people to pray, he said, pray like this. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Where? On earth where we live. This is the mission of God. This is the mission of Jesus, which means if we are going to be faithful in the meantime, we cannot disengage from the kingdom agenda that God has for the world. We must have a kingdom focus. It says, what does it take for us to see God become ruler and king over every life, every marriage, every family, every street, every neighborhood, every part of our city, every town and location inside of our county. What does it take for us to see the kingdom of God come and the will of God being done in every nook and cranny of our state and nation and even to the far reaches of the world? This is the thing that God is working on in the world. And we as his people are called to join him in that work, to be strong and immovable, yes, but also to work enthusiastically for the Lord and his purposes. Spiritual fervency 
kingdom focus, and third, missional fruitfulness. Every single one of us is called not just to follow Jesus, but we are called to be his missionaries in the place where he has put us. We are sent out to fish for people, and God wants us to bear fruit as his people. This is our calling. We cannot have an indifference toward the 42,000. We can't. Not and call ourselves followers of Jesus. Right? We can, we can say that we're religious people or we're people of faith, but if you're going to say that you're a follower of Jesus, don't say it if you have an indifference towards the mission field. Because Jesus, if you're following him, you are in the mission field because that's where Jesus always is. It's how Jesus could spend days in ministry, be completely exhausted, ready to withdraw, and he looks at the crowds and he's moved again with compassion. Why? Because these people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he looks at his followers and he says, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest field. Why? Because the people who are not yet reached are the ones who matter most. I want to say it again because sometimes in the church, particularly in North America, we forget that God doesn't, he doesn't care that much about the 99. Not like he cares about the one. He leaves the 99 behind because you're already in the fold. And he says, where's the one that we're missing? That's the one that matters. And we got 42,000 of those in our county. And they matter. They matter to the heart of God. That's why he sent his son. And they ought to matter to us. Because we are called as the followers of Jesus to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. If you don't believe me, look at what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Verse eight, he says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. You wanna bring glory to God? Become a true disciple. You wanna be a true disciple? Bear fruit for the kingdom of God. If you read down a few verses later, verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. He appointed you. He appointed you. Not the person sitting next to you. He appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now, this verse can sometimes get confused, right? Like, we can ask whatever we want, we get it. It doesn't work. I've asked for the Range Rover 100,000 times. It doesn't work. Okay, it's not about getting what we want. It's about getting what we need for the mission. If you're asking Jesus to give you something you want for yourself, you're probably not gonna get it. But if you are engaged in the mission that God has given us to produce lasting fruit for the kingdom of God, ask up. 
Because God wants to give us what we need to accomplish the mission. We have to start drawing circles around the things that we need for the mission of God to be accomplished in our day. Because listen, while, while we're looking out there in the future and it could be a long, long way off yet, it could also be tomorrow. It's daytime, but night is coming when no one can work. And we need the spirit of God to shake us up in our day to give to us a new sense of urgency for the mission of God. When I pray for our church and I pray for the church in Grant County, what I have prayed for for the last six or eight months is that there would just be new waves of salvation crashing on Grant County. I pray that there will be men and women and children who right now today are far away from God, but in the upcoming weeks and months that there would just be people coming into the kingdom of God and that Grant County would be changed, not by some new program or some government thing that we do or not some new business that comes. I pray for all of that stuff to happen, but none of that will bring people into the kingdom of God. We need people to find Jesus. That's why we're here. We have to have an urgency to that end. Now, all week long and really for the last few weeks as I've been thinking about this message, there's been one word that just keeps coming back to my heart and to my mind. And it was confirmed again to me this morning because I was praying with the team that was going to be up on the platform. And and by the way, team, you guys can come on back uh, because they're going to lead us in a song here in a few minutes. But I was praying with the team before the service and as I was sharing with them what I was going to be sharing with you, one of the members of the team, Don Osborne, said, you know what you're talking about is revival. Revival. He didn't know, but that was already in my slides for this morning because that's the word. As I have thought about this message, prayed for this day, prayed for our church, not just in the last couple of weeks, but really these last several months, really since 21 days of prayer in January, I've just been praying for revival because I am afraid that we are like the five foolish bridesmaids not just Lakeview, but the church in North America. And we need God's spirit to wake us up again. We need a new move of God in our day. And that's what we ought to set our attention towards. And so this morning, we're gonna celebrate communion. And there are those who have come to help us serve communion. And if that's you, I wanna invite you to come and make your way to the station where you're going to be serving us this morning. We're gonna celebrate communion. And this is a practice that Jesus himself instituted on the night that he was betrayed. And this morning, I'm gonna invite you to come very specifically with a very specific intention and focus in your mind because the reality is is that we believe communion 
is a means of grace. It's not just something we do to remember the night Jesus was betrayed, though we remember that. It's more than that. We actually believe that God uses the bread and the cup to bring grace into our lives, and we need the empowerment of God's spirit. We need his grace and his mercy, not just to forgive us, but we need his grace and his mercy to empower us to be the people he wants us to be. And so this morning, when you come to the table, I want to invite you to come with that intention to say, I want to put the dangers of being an in-between person, I want to put those behind me. And I want a new outpouring of God's grace and mercy in my life so that I can actually be a person of spiritual fervency, kingdom focus, and missional fruitfulness. I want you to ask God to give you that kind of grace today as you receive communion. And then after you take these elements, you're gonna return back to your seed and we're gonna be singing this song. This song that we're gonna sing is a prayer. It's a prayer that takes takes its words from different places in scripture, but one of the places it takes most of its words is from 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So after you receive from God this morning, I want you to go back to your seat and I want you to pray that God would heal our land, that there would be a revival in Marion, in Grant County and around the world, that there would be a new fire of the spirit of God burning in our hearts because that's what we need in our day and in this time. So I wanna give you just a word of instruction so you know what you're doing when you come forward. There are four stations. You'll notice if you're in the center sections, there are two stations, one right in front of your section. That's the station you're going to. For those of you who are on the two sections on the side, you have a station right in front of your two sections and same thing on this side. When you stand up to exit your row, you're gonna move to the outside walls. So whatever section you're in, when you stand, you're going to go that way to the walls. And you'll make your way to the station in front of your section. You'll receive a piece of the bread and you'll dip that into the cup. And then I would encourage you to to take the elements while you stand right up here at the front and receive them. And after you've received the elements, then you can return to to your seat. And we're just going to kind of cycle our way through to make this as smooth as possible. Now, some of you may be confused. We're just going to pray really hard that the people in the front of your section understood. And then you can just follow them, okay? So I'm going to pray for us to consecrate these elements. And then we're going to open the table of the Lord. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was gathered with his disciples for one final meal and at that meal he took a loaf of bread and he blessed it and then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them take this is my body eat this and this morning as you receive a piece of the bread please be reminded that Jesus Christ the son of God allowed his body to be broken for you. And as you eat this morning, eat 
with thanksgiving in your heart and feed on him with faith this morning. After they had finished eating the bread, Jesus in the same way took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink this. This is my blood poured out for you. As you receive the cup this morning, remember, Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And be thankful this morning that you are a child of God because of what he's done for you. So Father, this morning as we come to these moments of communion, we are simply asking now that your Holy Spirit would infuse these moments with a special grace and anointing so that we have everything that we need to serve you and live for you and be the church that you desire us to be. God, we believe that we are not just remembering something that has occurred in the past, though we remember it well this morning. We are here in this place this morning, not just to remember, but to receive. So would you use these elements, the bread and the cup, to pour your grace out in our lives so that we can be the people you want us to be. And God, would you come and heal our land? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The table of the Lord is now open for all who are walking in right relationship with God. Come and receive the grace that God has for you.